Welcome to the podcast for ballerinas, adult ballerinas, parents of ballerinas, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Georgia Canning, also known as the Balanced Ballerina, and it's my mission to break down the elitist barriers often associated with ballet. Through my own studios and ballet-related businesses, I'm all about providing space and content for people from all walks of life to experience and enjoy the many benefits of ballet. Each month, I'll bring you industry leaders and thought-provoking guests who will hopefully inspire you to lead a more balanced life, full of grace, with a little grit. If you've listened to my 2017 TEDx talk, you would have heard me talking about my impending trip to Africa. A couple of weeks after that talk, I packed up all the amazing leotards and ballet shoes that my dance community had donated and jumped on a plane to Nairobi to teach ballet classes for Anos Africa, a children's arts charity running educational arts projects for children living in the slums of Kenya. It was an experience I'll never forget that completely blew me away. It solidified my why, why I teach ballet, why I'm such an advocate of adult ballet, and why I campaign for everyone to understand that ballet truly can be for everyone. Part of this mission included a trek up Mount Kilimanjaro, one of the world's seven summits, to help raise money for Anos Africa with our partner World Expeditions. I say we because I dragged along my dad's really good mate, Mike Lang. Mike is today's guest, and you may hear me refer to him as Uncle Mike, And this is because when we were traveling, people kept asking if he was my dad, and I thought it might be much easier to just call him Uncle Mike. But to be honest, even though we're not related by blood, Mike will always be family to me. After all, he did put up with my moods whilst traveling and sat through many ballet classes whilst I taught. I would call Mike Lang an adventurer, and he'll blush at this grand label, but he really is. Mike owns and operates the outlet homewares and furniture stores, And in between buying trips and family time, he always makes room for daily micro-adventures and more exotic trips climbing some of the world's tallest mountains. You can find all these adventures documented on Zero Vanilla, zerovanilla.com.au, a company he started for the average Joe who needs some inspiration to find the time. I'm always asked by people what it's like teaching in Africa or reaching the top of one of the world's tallest mountains, so I thought this might be a conversation worth recording. Enjoy. Oh, okay, are we ready, Mike? Let's do it. Let's go. I mean, I love ballet, obviously, but it's very much an indoor activity. And the whole reason behind the BB community is creating a little balance. And part of that balance, I believe, is getting out and connecting with nature. Now, there's something I get from wandering around the bush, swimming in the ocean or climbing a mountain that I don't get from ballet. So that's what creates the balance for me. And I wrote a post about micro-adventures that resonated with a lot of people. And I got so many emails, which was cool because it inspired them to get outdoors. And so this is why I think our chat will be valuable to the community today. Um, Because I know that you've been worried that I'm only asking you on the podcast because you're my mate. But, (laughs) and you're like, but I've got nothing to do with ballet, Georgia. But for those that don't know, 
You and I embarked on quite the adventure in 2017. You accompanied me as I taught ballet in Nairobi, Africa, more specifically the slums of Kibera, uh, before a week-long hike to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. Do you remember how high it was? 19,885, 985. I've got, I've got the metres. Oh, metres? Oh, uh, 5,895. 5, there we go. Yep. Go <laughs> Above sea level, so pretty damn tall. But... Ballet being an art form that I believe builds grit through grace and beauty, it does tend to attract people who don't mind a challenge, getting their hands dirty and choosing goals that require a lot of dedication. So first and foremost, I want to preface this episode with this is for young students who have big dreams, older students who need a little inspiration to maybe set a goal and get to work. Um, perhaps even studio owners and other business owners who want to cultivate community, perhaps take on a charitable charitable project, and just for everyone to have a laugh when I ask you right now, during the time we were away and you got to sit through quite a few ballet classes, what did you think as a total non-bunhead about your first ballet class? <laughs> what a way to start. <laughs> well, I suppose um, the first thing that struck me was how excited the kids were to see you. Obviously, they had an international teacher rock up. They you know. did make me feel very special. Oh, they did. That was a, it was an amazing experience just watching them react to uh, you entering the class and being introduced the way you were. Um, but it was interesting to see how they reacted when you first started the class because I, I could see the nerves in the kids and I could see them wanting to impress you with what skills they had. See, I didn't see the nerves because I was so nervous. Isn't yeah. that funny? Well, it is strange that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I was so nervous teaching them. And it was, it was great, but the nerves didn't last long. I reckon the nerves lasted virtually you know, five minutes and then it went into your normal class. And it was kind of strange because I had seen many you know recitals i've been to you know well when i say many you know half a dozen a dozen or so i've been <laughs> to your been christmas to a few shows of my christmas recitals yeah. <laughs> every christmas recital i've been to so you only see the dancing you don't see the teaching i mean i've been to your studio a few times and, and i i've seen the way that you teach but i don't see how you talk to the kids mm. and that was really interesting you put them at ease very very quickly mm. and and then we start off and it was quite interesting because I, I recognised, obviously, the first position through yeah. the fifth position. I, I got that and I went, okay, yeah, I'm all with this. I, I, I'm all over ballet. I know those positions. All's good. And then I heard plie and I went, okay, I've got that. I've heard Georgia use that before. <laughs> and then tondu and passe. And I, I thought, no worries. That's the only things I need to know. We should tell everyone, you were sitting in the corner. You weren't actually doing the class. That's true. <laughs> I was sitting in the corner quietly <laughs> like a creepy guy. <laughs> yeah, actually, when I think about it, it was probably a bit creepy. They were probably nervous because you were watching. Yeah, I was in the corner There's with the camera. There's this creepy white man in the corner yeah. just staring at us. Taking photos. I was trying to smile and be nice, but yeah, it was a bit strange. But and then it just took a turn that I wasn't expecting. What? Well, the whole class ended up being done in French. <laughs> I, I didn't see that coming. I had no idea that when you were teaching, pretty much when you teach, it's nearly all in French. And yep. I knew a few words that you were doing, like the ones I just said. But apart from that, I, I thought that was it. And and I was sitting there going, "Hang on a minute, these kids have." are scrambling from day to day to live and just turn up at school whenever they can. When did they find the time to... Extremely disadvantaged. Yeah, when did they find the time to learn French? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so I'm, I'm sitting there watching the class and it was really interesting because I'm thinking, okay, well, let, let's just see what happens here. And, and I was blown away at no matter what you presented to them, as far as do this move, do that move, mm. they all singly done the same thing. And knew exactly what I was talking they about. They knew exactly what you were talking about. They didn't turn to the side and look at their partner to see what they were doing or, or, or the other people in the class. They had they were completely focused. Their head was up and, and eyes forward and they were all doing exactly the same thing. They knew exactly what they were doing. It was pretty impressive. You witnessed firsthand the uh, universal language of ballet. I think that's probably what it was. I, I didn't realise it was it was so universal like that. I, I guess as an outsider, that would shock you. And I remember after first class, you went, you know French? <laughs> and, but see, I don't consider myself knowing French. I don't speak, like I'd be useless in France trying to all organize dinner for everyone yeah, or get a croissant and a coffee yeah. definitely not conversational no. but i could maybe tell someone to get from point a to point b yeah doing Dancing. a hop skip and a jump <laughs> but that's about it yeah that was so funny were you um were you in any way skeptical about how much something as simple as a ballet class can impact on such disadvantaged children's lives not skeptical no i mean um Obviously, I researched a little bit before we went just to see where we were going and, and, and what sort of environment we were going to be in. And obviously, when you see Kibera firsthand versus seeing it on film, it, it does blow you away. I, I mean, over the years, I've been privileged to, to travel a lot and, and go to a lot of disadvantaged places and some pretty amazing places. So you get a sense of what's poor and what's what's yeah. a struggle and, and, and Kibera is is another world that's it, it really is as, as bad as it gets um so I remember saying have you been anywhere like this and you were like no no this is it, just there's nowhere next like level it. it is next level uh, yeah. for, for those that that don't know to put a bit of perspective on this you probably had to do a bit of research because so you've been um on a hike Many many hikes. Actually, can you do a quick like? What are the what are the peaks you've you've hit? What are your favourite climbs? Go. My, my, my favourite climb was uh, Mount Rainier in, uh, in in Washington, USA, which is the highest uh, glacial peak in the continuous United States. Uh, it's fourteen and a half thousand feet. That was that was a, a hard one. Um, I've done Ben Nevis in Scotland, which was great. Obviously, we just knocked over Kilimanjaro, which mm-hmm. was awesome. Done a, uh, a couple of uh, fantastic peaks in Iceland, which was uh, tremendous. Uh, recently just came back uh, from doing the Inca Trail and a, and a climb in Peru and Bolivia. Um, uh, what else have we done? And wow. you've done Everest Base Camp with Dad. And and that was probably my, my most memorable one. We've done yeah. Everest Base Camp. Which is why when I came to my parents and I said, hey, I'm going to go to uh, Africa, teach ballet to kids in the slums and go climb Mount Kilimanjaro, they were like, well, you're not going by yourself. <laughs> and I was like, they're like, Mike, Uncle Mike's going to go with you. <laughs> yeah, that's when Uncle Mike stood in because I, I remember you came up to me at a Christmas party, or well, Christmas carols, I think it was. It was Christmas says, carols. Can you convince Dad to go to Kilimanjaro with him? I went, he's not climbing any mountains. He's, he's had it. And but, you said, but I'll go with you. And I was I'm like, in. sure. I was like, you know, I'm not joking, right? And you're like, no, I know. And you're like definitely like me where if you set your mind to something, you're like, no, I'll go. Yep, I made that Done. decision in a matter of seconds. And uh, <laughs> I was... Uh, but also because my eyes are probably so desperate, like my mom and dad are <laughs> like 20... Wait, I would have been 26. 26? 26-year-olds yeah. yeah. like, I can't go unless mommy and daddy sign off yeah. on it. So you needed somebody to hold your hand or, or step in front of the bullet. 
I, I did. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so, uh, gee, what was the question you started off with? Here? Oh my you gosh. Me, so did I see the, why uh, ballet would have been maybe overlooked in, in those places? Or yeah. So yeah. I was giving a bit of background as to why you would have had to do some research into what my little project was in Africa and, yeah. and ballet over there because really you had nothing to do with ballet no. until we went over. That's right. And 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 I could I could see that. Um, what you were offering the kids was a chance to escape for a couple of hours. Um, I didn't expect to get go there and see professional ballerinas or somebody who was aspiring to even be professional. I just seen it as probably something that they needed to, to, to form an escape in their head to, to get away from their life they were living for an hour, two hours, whatever it may be. I was probably surprised in the, in, in the way that the kids that were there, yes, there were some kids that obviously were just there to have a bit of fun. Um, but they still took it seriously. But there was, from a layman's point of view, you could definitely see there were some kids taking it extremely seriously. And yeah. they really wanted to learn from you and they really wanted to see how... I was even surprised by that. Yeah. Especially, um, I, you, you would probably remember more than me, but you, you had in your very first class two boys who yes. I'd say were probably 14 or 15 years old. They were the older yeah. kids in the class. And uh, those those guys were extremely fit and, and built like they were, what I would imagine yeah. a, a, a ballet dancer, a male ballet dancer would look like. They and were built very similar to what a, a male professional dancer would. Yeah, and, and yeah. they took it very seriously. So they obviously trained very regularly. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, they were very serious. Mm. And and it's interesting your point about how you watch these kids just zone out and get to you know be a part of a different world for an hour. That's exactly the same feeling that I think anybody gets from a ballet class. I see my adults zone out and they just go into a different world and and I think that's what sparks so much joy for me when teaching a class. And it was really interesting and really nice to see that in a completely different environment, that it's exactly the same. And I think that's what set me on the path for that what I'm doing is awesome and a good thing to do because it made me feel like how do I explain this I'm not articulating it very well I think the Africa trip made me go maybe I was the skeptical one about how much a ballet class can mean do you know what I mean until that trip and when I taught these kids and they got so much out of it I was like wow this is what I need to do provide ballet classes and you know break down that barrier for like everyone thinking that you need to only do ballet because you're going to be a professional dancer. I mean, let's face it, those kids that I taught, I think, oh, that's right, there was one, I can't remember his name, but he did audition for the Royal Ballet and I'm pretty sure he got in, but there was a problem with visas and I think he was sent back to Africa or he could only stay for a very short period of time or it was going to cost a lot more than they initially thought and he ended up not going. So which is really sad, but at the end of the day, yes, none of them or maybe, you know, maybe one would, you know, end up in a professional company one day, but at the end of the day, they're not doing it for that. Even if they do take it really seriously, they're doing it because it gets them out of the house, out of their routine of these children, are, we found out, looking after their six-month-old That's right. They had their sibling baby and siblings there. They had, crazy. Um, they had some amazing things that they had to still do in their day you know which was 
I mean, I, I know this might be overstating, but it seemed to be that they just had to concentrate on surviving. Yeah, do you, you remember know? that class? Um, and I was like, why Why does that child have a baby? Like, yeah, that's Like I thought, family, my first example. thought was she's way too young to have had a child. And, she, and the teacher was like, oh, no, that's her sibling. Um, mom and dad are making money, so she has to bring her sibling to school. That's right. Like six-month-old baby. Had to take her home and prepare dinner and, yeah. and clean the, the well the, the living quarters. She yeah. should really and she was young. House. She was like 10. Could you imagine like sending your 10-year-old to school with their six-month-old sister? Well, we'd be calling social services. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we would be. Well, now I get asked all the time, how does one get involved in a mission like we went on? And what training is involved? I kind of broke it down into three main points. Pick a partner, accountability. Yeah, that's a good one. So you were my partner on this trip. <laughs> and how did we hold each other accountable? Well, I mean like... Training-wise. Training-wise accountable? And preparation. Uh, <laughs> I suppose at the end of the day, I was just trying to not get beaten up by you. Because <laughs> that is such a lie. <laughs> it was more the fact that if I don't uh, train my butt off, George is going to whip me uh, pretty much on a daily basis until I'm ready. But uh, look, we had a fairly good base of, of fitness before we started training. So, it, yeah. so, so that was, I think that's that was key. Good. Yeah. And um, uh, as far as keeping each other accountable, it was really just a matter of before we started we sat down and said right how much time do we have to dedicate to training on a weekly basis and we went through what we done um boot camps and i think at the time you were i was with doing crossfit, CrossFit. And, yeah. and and so there was you know probably x amount of hours there might be 10 hours a week that yeah. we were doing there and we said right well you can probably put another 10 or 12 or 15 hours a week yeah. into training each which i think we probably it was yeah. around about 15 so hours. i i personally was doing five days a week of an hour a day crossfit Mm-hmm. Plus all the teaching yep. <laughs> that I do every day, um, and then we were hitting uh, the training ground. So meaning hitting um, some hinterland and walking for, or towards the end there, there were some seven-hour hikes, six to seven yep. hours, um, where we'd start at five, six o'clock in the morning um, on a Sunday. Yep. Sundays was our was our was those, big that, day. That was that day that we could both get off. I mean, through the week we were trying to do um, one, two, three-hour hikes. You could do those after work or before work and we'd, we'd start earlier, we'll finish late and, uh, and and we'd hit the back of our areas at Narang State Forest or we'd go up to Springbrook or, or somewhere like that. And and that's what um, you need to do when you're doing trekking or climbing. It's more about time on your feet and having a balance between strength and conditioning, which you were getting through your CrossFit, versus a bit of running just for and a bit of cardio and i was getting that through boot camps which i was doing five days a week at the same time and then we would do some stairs and then you know you progress into your longer hikes of five six seven hours and once you get to that point where you can string five or six hours together on a hike which is around about the 20k to 25k mark you then try and string those together as two days in a row, three days in a row, four days in a row, five days in a row. And once you got to that point there, you can just keep going. I considered you on our on our hikes on Sundays like my guide because for those that don't know, I'm very <laughs> like directionally challenged. <laughs> you remember when we'd get to like a fork in the path and you'd go, which way, Georgia? Yeah. And I'd pick the wrong way. <laughs> Pretty much <laughs> every single walking. time we started calling you oh sat Oh my nav. gosh, yeah. I was terrible. So I would like, so I think with having a partner, it's good to find a balance. And I think my balance was like pushing you, yes. like, come on, let's run this, you know, this next 50 meters. And you're like, oh, okay. Yep. And, and 
your, your job was my guide, just to keep me alive and in the right direction and getting home on time. Making sure that we got <laughs> home in the right place, the right time. I would say, uh, I would say, I asked you probably thirty times, okay, which way do we go, left or right? And you would say right, and I knew it was left, but I let you walk right for yeah. probably an hour before I turn you around. <laughs> <laughs> which is so not funny, and you're like. It's just time on the feet, Georgia. We're just training. We just, just need time training. on the feet. And I was like, no, got to go the right way. Like, I'm, <laughs> don't ask me. Like, I'm terrible. Um, number two was uh, make the time. But we've kind of already spoken about that. Um, one of the things that in regards to make the time is that people say, I don't have time. Yeah. What do you say to that? Because <laughs> I'm like, if you want it, when I hear you'll that, make the time. All I hear is that's not important enough for me to make the time. Exactly. And, and and that's all it comes down to when you set a goal, whether it be uh, climbing Kilimanjaro or whatever your goal may be, is <coughs> once you've set that goal in place, everything else um, revolves around that. Well, yeah. that. That's how it is for me. So I make the time. I, I, I say, right, well, I, I'm going to um, train for five nights a week and five mornings a week or whatever that schedule may be for the individual. And that is my priority everything else gets scheduled around the time and I do it if I have to forego one of those nights there's got to be a pretty good reason yeah definitely and then the third one is for me the preparation is key meaning I read a lot about Kili I read a lot about Kavera trying to gauge well there was two parts of our adventure the first part was me reading up and trying to gauge what I'd be dealing with when I went over which as much as I prepared, I was not prepared for. No, you um, can't really teaching. be prepared for that. Um, so I read a lot. Um, and then I also watched those quite great YouTube videos about how to pack and what to pack. Because my biggest thing was uh, I'm very minimal in my packing and I didn't want to like overpack for the hike, even though we had um, pe- people, what do we call them? They're not Sherpas. That's what you call them on Everest. Porters. Porters, our porters. Yep. I forgot the word. <laughs> <laughs> our, our porters carried most of the weight. Um, we, you know, I didn't want to overpack. So I watched a lot of videos and stuff. Um, and then ask. So I asked you a lot about yeah. what to pack. I remember that night before we left, we, we, we had one last, um, one, one last unpack and we, we basically put everything on the floor and I put all my gear to one side and you yeah. put all your gear to the other. And we just basically went through, well, that's that layer, that's that layer. And I think even at that last minute stage of that night before, mm. I think you still had to take a few items out yeah. or add an item here or there. Yeah. And Look, that's just experience. You don't know until you've done it. And yeah. so you just got to fall back on somebody else's experience, which fortunately I had a little bit off of doing those things. Yeah. And it makes it easier. For example, I think I had two sets of pajamas. <laughs> and you said to me, Georgia, you'll probably just sleep in the clothes that you're wearing that day. And after saying that's disgusting, there's no way that's going to happen. I pretty much slept in my clothes <laughs> from that day, except for my pants. I changed every night into some uh, some tracky pants. But yeah, I mean, you just learn because I'd never been on. I'd never, you know, I'd never even really camped. No, that's right. I think I think you I'd said never after camped. The, we were lying and then there I go the for five night. days, yeah. like of just the first night in line. There, she goes, "I've never been in a tent before." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hang on a second. I could have known about this before. <laughs> Seriously, though. But but um, I also think, like, to not overthink it. And I think what stops a lot of people is, because since then I've had so many questions about what gear do I need. Yeah. Okay, there are definitely some things, and I, and I popped it on my blog, actually, a list of what I think are essential items. But I think people think hiking, big trips, climbing mountains, I need to go out and buy all the gear. 
No. You don't. You don't. You can you actually totally get by with the bare minimum. You tend not to use... You don't use half the stuff you bring. Half the stuff you bring in. Even, even, even myself, who I've, I mean, I've done, you know, probably 40 or 50 major treks. I still take things that I, th- I know in my head, I'm not going to use this, but I'm going to take it just in case. Yeah. And I never view, I've never used them once. And, and so you do tend to cull and, and, and that gear list is very similar for most people, even though you might, you know, like you might take the quirky little things for, you, for your own self. But most of the time it's, it's very, very simple and you shouldn't overthink those things, yeah. you know. Like I took a camera. Did you see me pull the camera no, out once? No, that's what phones are for now. I know. That's, that's the beauty I, of those I things. I stressed about not having a HD camera and I didn't pull it out once. And I remember I brought it all the way to the top, like on summit <laughs> night. And it was heavy, like it was a heavy camera. It was compact, but heavy. And I mean, I couldn't even do anything, let well, alone pull my camera out. S- summit night was... was <laughs> interesting. <laughs> it was interesting at the best of times, but there was no way you could have used the camera. It was it was too cold for a start. No. So, so you struggled the entire way up and maybe down due to altitude a little bit. Yeah, altitude and, and I was fine until friends. summit night. Yeah, that's right. I mean, so out, we, out, we were the perfect accountability partners for each other. We worked well. Yeah. Attitude is a funny thing. It, it's it's not something you can train for. It's not something, it's got nothing to do with fitness. It's got nothing to do with your, you know, your respiratory, you know, it's it, whether you're a smoker or not a smoker, it, it, it can hit anybody at any time. Even if you are a professional climber and you've climbed Everest five times, and you've been fine five times. The sixth time it could hit you. Yeah. So you can't train for that. And and so, um, I the, the attitude always niggles me. I always get headaches. So I, I never feel. I feel nauseous. I don't feel like eating. Yeah. It was just what happened with me. Because I remember we'd get to camp and you'd be like, you'd have a little bit of dinner. I'd be like woofing down my dinner. <laughs> you'd I have was mine so as well. hungry. <laughs> I even had your dinner half the time. And you were just sitting there going, "What is wrong with you?" Unbelievable. And then you'd be like, "I'm gonna go to bed." And so you'd like go to bed, and I'd sit up like reading my book for like another two, three hours. I need to try biscuits and popcorn. Yeah. (laughs) Every single night I would arrive to camp. My chair was set up looking like it's indescribable sitting on a camp chair and looking out and the clouds are below you. Don't you reckon that is just next level? It's something you can't buy and and it is is fantastic. When you go into a camp, we're we're talking specifically about Africa here, but when you're walking into a camp in Africa, uh, porters and crew sung us into camp and danced us into camp every night. I forgot about that. It was wonderful and it was such a great way and they usually meet you about 500 metres to a kilometre out with some nice cold pineapple juice and it would just be an easy way into camp. You get in, your chair's already set up and you're right, you're sitting there with the world in front of you and, and, and the clouds below you. And it is an amazing thing. And it's the one thing I love about doing the higher mountains that I've done is you can't buy that. Mm. With Kilimanjaro, you can't land on Kilimanjaro with on a helicopter. No. It's too high. The only way you can get there is pure effort. I remember there was one point on our way up, actually thinking about that now, where they said, okay, this is it, guys. How are you feeling? Because after this point, helicopters and rescue teams can't get us. That's right. And I was like, ooh, yeah. it's getting real. <laughs> I almost swore, but yeah, it's getting real now. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. It's getting real. That's exactly what it is. You get to that point where you go, I'm on my own. I've got to rely on my own fitness and my mental attitude. And if I feel crook, I've just got to suffer through it and get through it. Yeah. It was um, compared to um, other mountains you've climbed, 
how did Killy stack up? Uh, it, it wasn't as tough as some of the other ones I've climbed. Rainier was the, the toughest for me. That, mm. that that nearly broke me, that one. Um, it, it, I learned a lot from Rainier, um, yeah. but it, and, and I learned a lot about myself. It was great for self-awareness. But uh, Kilimanjaro was a little bit different. I found the first four days um, tiring at times because it was it was hot and it was cold and it was it was rocky it was it was all over the place but it was enjoyable mm. uh, it was just challenging trekking um, the the summit night itself was a long night just oh. to go from base camp to I, the summit and I back think down that was the longest night that was a very long of day. my life yeah I mean I to give you saw what a mess I was yeah I was fine should we talk about that yeah let's talk about it okay. I was fine the entire way up. Like the entire way up, the what four days, four five days. Yeah, before? The, the, the four days prior, you were you were fine. Um, you hated bouncing. me. Yeah, you were just a little ballerina, just walking up a mountain. My I'm oxygen going, levels, seriously? my oxygen levels had <laughs> barely changed. Remember, you were like, "What is wrong with you? You're um, a freak." And then summit night hit me. Yeah, everyone just needs to imagine walking up a sand dune and slipping backwards. Yeah. With every step. So you actually feel like for how long? How many kilometers you, you, do you You're on scree. You feel like and, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> and so it's, it, we kicked off around about midnight. Uh, sorry, no, I'm, I lie actually. So it was about 10 o'clock. And uh, it was starting to be prepared. And I think it was probably about 11.30 by the time we actually that kicked we left, on. Yeah. You, you, you're right. It's, it's two steps up, one step back, and it's on, and you're on scree for that whole time, which is you know small, sandy, pebbly, sharp rocks. Uh, it is very, very cold. Um, and remember, I looked up about two hours in, and I was like, "Oh my god, look at the stars!" And you're like, "Georgia, that's not stars. That's people's." Uh, um, torches, torches on their heads yeah. and I was like oh my I, god we still have to go that far that's right and I think that's the point where my head just went nah and that's the I got in my it. head and yep. I was like I can't get like these these little little specks of light were so high that I thought that they were stars and they were people and that's what did me yeah well it took us from from leaving base camp to getting to the, the summit ridge took six hours now, six hours of walking. Glad you sc- remember because I can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't remember much of that night, I'm afraid. It felt yeah. like 16 hours. <laughs> and, but we, we, it, it was very, it was bitterly cold. It was about minus 15 and uh, our fingers were extremely cold and we stopped oh. several times to try and warm them up. Uh, we ended up actually taking our gloves off and putting them down the front of our pants. I know that sounds a bit weird, but no, it's, it, it's, it's the warmest place of your body. Um, you couldn't access your armpits because you were just wrapped up. And so we stopped on, on a few occasions um, just to, to rest. And I, I remember one where um, you, you were really struggling at this stage. And um, can we talk freely? Go for it. Okay. What did and, I do? and at that stage there, uh, you needed to go to the toilet. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and you <laughs> went, I, I just don't know what, should I go? And I said, well, you have to go. To the loo. So, you, it. so it was just like, here's a small little cave. You went to the loo. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It, it, it was a real struggle because to when you've got that much clothing on, it's ta- and, and, and you're, you're so altitude, cold just, and your brain's not functioning. Yeah. What should have taken maybe 20 seconds probably took 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Yeah. And at the end of that little stop, um, uh, our, our guide, uh, whose name's Issa and Julian, uh, Julius, Julius, sorry, yeah. um, who, who was a lovely guide. Um, he, he basically, you know, had, had you around the shoulders and was, and it was trying to G you up a bit. Cause at that stage there's when you, you actually broke down. Uh, there's, there's footage of me in that cave with my drink bottle crying, yeah. trying to take little sips of the water. Yeah. And then they gave me, um, 
Coca-Cola. That's right. And I don't drink soft drink. So for someone that hasn't probably had soft drink in maybe <laughs> 10 years and then they give me like Coke, I was like, oh my God, what is this? This, this is, is amazing. amazing. <laughs> and then I think I like pushed out a solid hour and I was yeah. okay for a bit. We, we went for another hour after that and, and, and you, you, you were pretty upset there. Your head game was playing tricks on you and and at that stage there it was it was going to be a struggle but there was zero chance of you giving up and we, we knew that it was just one of those little oh. periods of a climb where you go oh my god this is you've met me. me there was no way there was we zero weren't getting way. to the I, 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 we, we had no the, we had no um i would have been on hands and knees crawling the following hour you said you had coca-cola there yeah do you recall yes when, i do they yeah, pulled out the white powder they c- pulled out the white powder and we, we both looked at each other and went <laughs> What is this? this? Oh my god! And And he put it on his hand, and we do we have to snort this? What's coming coming on? And what it was is I'd never come across it before, and it's something they use in Africa. It was pure glucose powder. And but do you remember? Like this is how out of it and how desperate you are for anything to give you a jolt of energy. I licked it off his hand. Yes, no question. Straight onto his hand Just and licked the whole. You licked it clean. Licked it. Like, <laughs> how disgusting is that? Now that I think back, I'm like, that is disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> but it was amusing. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you found it amusing. But I think the hardest thing was when we got to the top. Right? They said we've to the made summit it itself to or the, no, the no, summit. No, no, okay, no. Well, when they the said we've got to the top, and I was like thinking. This this doesn't this doesn't look like the top. No. This doesn't look like the pictures I've seen. Where's the sign? Where's everyone taking photos? Like I don't I don't understand. Yeah. And then they were like, the summit's only an hour and a an half. An hour and a half away <laughs> in that direction. And I was like, you don't tell someone that you're at the top if you're not at the yeah. bloody top. I know. Grumpy Georgia came out oh, at that stage. And then so I went from I've made it absolutely elated to furiously grumpy about them essentially lying to me it was a little bit soul crushing and then you wrapped your arms around me and said your dad wanted me to tell you that that he is so proud of you so i went from (laughs) elated to furious to sobbing crying going <laughs> why would you tell me that well, I, I miss him so much i had to pull that out at the right time and i figured that was the, probably the right time when you needed a bit of a boost oh. and it was it was uh yeah well look we were still an hour and a half from the summit and it, to be honest that that walk around the rim it was broken rock it was up it and was down rough. craggy faces it was very rough. it was actually to be honest it was really dangerous like if anyone's going to die on kilimanjaro it's by falling off the there sides was. of the mountain yeah it's because once you're on that crater you, you're basically walking around the edge of the crater until you get to the true yeah. summit and, and <laughs> the, that, real, the real summit the real summit but when we reached the real summit the sun was just coming up you could see the cloud line underneath you um there was a pyramid of of uh, of a shadow of Kilimanjaro on the the Kenyan plains on the distance. I'm glad you remember because I don't. And it was just <laughs> breathtaking, and you could see the glacier at the top. And it was at that stage there, um, all the pain was gone in my mind. I, I'm not speaking for Georgia here. I was in a world. <laughs> of Georgia pain. was in a world of pain, and 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 I and I've been there before. I knew how hard and, and it was. And it's really hard to explain, isn't it? Because it wasn't. 
it wasn't even physical pain. No. It was like a mental pain that I've never experienced in my entire life. Mm. And it, it is, which it was is almost instantly gone on the way down. That feels like it's going to break you, and you feel I've had enough. But yeah. and I, I've been there before. I, I, I've I done that. Uh, if I digress a little bit, I've, I've done that on Rainier. Yeah. And Rainier for me was a a, a thirty hour nonstop um, summit attempt. And and thirty hours on on your feet climbing is it can just it just zaps you, and we had a sh- we had to have a short break halfway through for a few hours, but it, it was still a long long period of time. And I got to the top with a guy that I admired, mm. and I, I won't go into his history, but th- this guy was my mentor. He's your man crush. He was my man crush in a big <laughs> way, and I, <laughs> he even knows this, so I can say it out loud. And uh, he he had a he's got a, a fantastic quote that I love. And it, and it simply is getting to the top is optional, getting down is mandatory. And when I was at the top of Rainier, I felt like you felt on Kilimanjaro. Yeah. I, I was, so you knew exactly how I it felt. knew where you were. And, um, which I, is why I, you knew how to handle me. Which is, well, that, I mean, that just comes through experience. I wouldn't have known unless I'd been there before. So I knew the pain you were in. Um, but I also knew when I was on top of Rainier, all I needed was for, for my man crush to come and sit next to me. He put his hand on my shoulder and he goes, what's up, Mike? Why, why, why the pain? Why the, why the tears? Because I was in tears at that stage. And um, I says, I, th- I think I've really stuffed up. I, I don't think I can get down. You're going to have to call the choppers and I'm in trouble. And he goes, no, mate. He goes, I wouldn't, right. I wouldn't have brought you up here if I didn't know you could get down. And I still had seven hours of, of down climbing, which is more painful than going up. And um, but as soon as he said that, I, I said to myself, maybe I'm not as bad as I think I am. I stand up, I pull myself together. Seven hours later, I'm down. I'm, I'm down below, and I knew by just taking your, taking a couple of deep breaths and having a few choice words that you'd feel the same. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. As soon as we crossed over the ledge to head back down, things changed. Do you know what's funny? I can actually recall the exact time, the exact moment I snapped out of it. Because when we were at the top, remember, we took our photos. I'm very surprised I'm smiling in any of them, <laughs> to be honest. Um, there's a few where my eyes are closed because I think they were frozen shut with my eyelashes. But I went, I'm done. And I just started walking, remember? I just started walking <laughs> back down. And no, our guides, no guides, our no two nothing. guides were like, oh, oh, Julius, you go with her. And then I think um, Issa stayed with you. And so I started walking back down and it, Julius still hadn't caught up with me because I was on, like, I was a woman on a mission. I was like thumping down this this mountain and i came across this guy who was by himself he was probably my age i think he was even australian and he was by himself there was no guide and he was like leaning on the side of like the mountain oh i remember this on the fence on the fence and i said yeah because there's a fence up there there's a fence up there can you believe that there's a fence up there i don't know how it's up there it only went for about 20 feet it was just it's just weird anyway so I came across him and he looked a hundred times worse than me. Yeah. And he was, he looked like he was dead. And I said to him, are you okay? And he was like, nah, I, I can't do this. <laughs> and I'm like, buddy, you are like 10 minutes away. I said, you need to get up right now. And it's like, I went into teacher mode. Yep. I went into like full George, Miss Georgia mode. And I was like, you get up right now. You've got 10 minutes. You haven't come all this way. Well, <laughs> and I just got all this energy all of a sudden and went, you haven't come all this way to not get to the top. I was like, I'm in pain too. You're in pain. You'll be fine. I said, I'm not coming with you, but you're going to get up right now yeah. and go. And yeah. he like stood up and he was like, okay, thank you. And I was like, you'll be right. And like he walked straight past me and then I kept walking and I was fine. 
I don't know. Isn't that weird? Well, I mean, that's that's your ballet grit coming out. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's psycho ballet teacher Miss Georgia coming yeah. out. Let's leave the mountain talk. What I thought would be really interesting to chat about now is using charitable projects to build community within your business. Now, number one for me and my studio is building community, first and foremost. Yep. Because obvious. I, yeah, I, I hope it's obvious because <laughs> it I, I do obvious, try yeah. really hard um, because I, I think it's really important to the, the health of the children, the parents, the clients, the, the vibe of the place. Um, and I think you do it really well within your business and credit to you because I think it would actually be a lot harder to build community within your business mm. because you have multiple stores selling furniture. You yeah. don't have a one place where people come and it's, you, you know, you're forced to be in the same place and, right. and, and, and follow the same and same the personal morale. relationship yeah. isn't the same. The personal relationship yeah. is completely different. So I, I would love to take, you know, hear your take on building community within business and maybe how, how you know, charitable projects. I mean, we just knew from our project how much it built community and camaraderie and, and inspiration within the community. Yeah, well, I mean, like, obviously when, when you, you know, you asked me to, to, to go on the trip, I wasn't aware of the charity you were supporting yeah i didn't know about ida and wendy who who you'd been supporting for a year or two your sponsored students over there so all that was new to me so at the beginning i don't have that emotional connection to the charity but i rode along with your enthusiasm for the charity and it wore off yeah and after visiting the place obviously i have a very very different idea of you know why you would why you would chose that charity and and and, and that stuck with me so and that's fantastic it's not that i would automatically going to jump on board and start you know sponsoring um, <laughs> children to do ballet yeah. but it, well it doesn't really align with it, it doesn't but I, I did at the time use that to to help raise funds and and yeah. and um through my business and through my social media and the community that I have, um, you know, through our through our business, and it is a really tough thing to to grow a community. And I think the only way to do that is you have to be yourself, yeah, and you have to be genuine. If you're not yourself, you're not genuine. People see through that straight away. And when you start picking random charities just to yeah. make you feel better or to make your community look better or to make you look better that you're trying to do the right thing people see through it yeah. you know so and unless it's genuine unless it's something that you're really passionate about and you can actually um tell that story and voice that to your community then it's really hard to use it you know to to, to either build your community or at least use it within your community um it's it's a, it is a hard thing to do but uh, again it's just a matter of getting out there um for me, is video. I, I use a lot of video because it's the only way I can reach my community. I can yeah. do it within You're the store. You're very much a face-to-face person, whereas yeah. I, as you know, I don't actually really like talking to camera. Yeah. I mean, this is so <laughs> weird. I'm like, I've started a podcast and I'm free and happy talking, but there's something about seeing my face and talking on camera. I just yeah. hate it. <laughs> and, and I tried from day one. You I, tried to make me do it and I was like, yeah, nah, no, can't. I'm I not into can't. it. So I ended up on the, all the camera shots. But you did. It, it, it's, you know, you just got to pick the medium that's good for you and, and, and whether that be writing, which you're very good at and, and obviously now podcasting and if, if in front of a camera isn't for you, then go the other direction. It was, um, it was nice like when we'd say go for a hike and we'd be like, hey guys, we're on a, you know, another training 
background, um, have a look at this beautiful view, um, five weeks until Killy, um, how you're going. Remember, well, I wasn't saying how you're going. I was just smiling and waving in the background. Yep. Um, and you'd post that on your business social media and all the like well wishes and what can yeah. we do and what a great cause and and I've clicked on their website and how can I make a donation yep. and how can I send some ballet wear your way like it was really nice it is it's lovely when when that happens i mean we're very fortunate that within the communities of our businesses the people who are in those communities are genuine as well because yeah. they're genuine customers and the 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 love that you get back and the, and, and the good feeling that you get back from your customer base, it's just wonderful. They become friends. Yeah. You know, that's what it's all about. And I think when you do charitable projects, sometimes people go, oh, well, you're only doing it to make yourself feel better and that's your right. clients are only doing X to make themselves feel better. What's wrong with that? I, I don't, I mean, if you, like I, I just speaking from experience, as soon as I said to my studio community, this is what I'm doing, um, I want to take uh, a bunch of secondhand but good quality ballet um, wear, leotards, um, shorts, crop tops, ballet shoes over to these children and I'm going to teach over there and through uh, Humor Charity Challenge um, with uh, World, Ex- World Expeditions, World yep. Expeditions, um, we need to hit a target of, oh my gosh, I can't even remember, was it 1,500? Yeah, it was two thousand. Fifteen hundred each. It was. It was around about three thousand in total. Was the, yeah. the minimum, you know, that we wanted to to, to raise cash yeah. wise. But the the, mo- the moment I did that, I had it was gorgeous. I had ten year olds students coming up to me, giving me their pocket money of mm. ten dollars, and saying, "Miss Georgia, can you put this towards a new pair of ballet shoes for to take over to Africa?" Yeah. And I'd look at the parent, being like, "Oh my gosh, I can't take this," and they'd be like, "No, she wants to. Like, it, this is teaching her a valuable lesson." And I think that's. What was beautiful about it? Everyone in the community became, and and the, the the smiles on these children's faces when they would come into class and go, Miss Georgia, these are the leotards I don't wear anymore. I'd like yeah. you to have them for the. That's for the what children. I liked the best. Was yeah. beautiful. Was um, I mean, like anybody can come up with some money and donate money to a charity, the, 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 and you know, and for some people that makes you feel good. That's great. Yeah. But the fact that collected so many items of clothing and shoes and ballet equipment and we carry i'm sure that's where you got me along just to carry all the equipment yeah basically yeah so anyway by the time we <laughs> I took a, a huge bag over it was um, massive but, but taking that over to the kids and actually giving it to the people who actually needed it was more rewarding than handing them a check for x yep. dollars and um, the, the the kids loved it when when they seen yeah. that they, they don't recognise that there's a check there for, for for x amount of dollars. So I think it was, it was maybe four or five thousand dollars we gave yeah. them at the end. But um, that it was the bag of of ballet clothes. Then yeah. I mean, most of those kids who were in those classes were wearing the t-shirt they woke up on. They woke up, and a lot of them had leotards on, but they were. Very Ill old, fitting Ill or fitting. super old, yeah. yeah. And like we, we made an impact. The amount of other studios that jumped on board sent me messages, how can I, you know, donate um, some clothes and whatnot. Everyone has sent over actually so much ballet attire, I don't know if I've told you, that they actually have too much stuff now. Oh, fantastic. Like the place, the storage-wise, is chock-a-block. Um, so... It's I, f- I feel like um, I feel like I'm closing a bit of a chapter on that one. Good. And I'm feeling that itch now though to yep. find like another cause um, and do something else. Mm, well, we briefly discussed that the other I day. I know. Yeah. I just haven't found something <coughs> yet that completely resonates or aligns with um, with with my work. 
uh, if anyone has any ideas, please DM me. Yeah. Um, I would love to well, know. Well, that's the beautiful thing. You talk to your community and you see what pops up. I mean, it's exactly. It's got, how, it's got to resonate yeah. and it's got to, you, unless you've got a passion for it and you actually feel connected to the issue, then you're never really going to commit to it fully. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of like to connect a cause with an adventure. Yep. Perfect. Love it. I wrote down this quote because I think it's so me at the moment by one of my favorite poets she wasn't bored just restless between adventures that is so <laughs> me right now that's a classic but um yeah so watch this space <laughs> um yeah. yeah got any ideas mike uh, i do um but we'll discuss in private we'll discuss in we? private because um um <laughs> yeah it could uh it could turn into a huge adventure yeah oh, and we also have to make sure we follow through if we put it out publicly, we, we got to well, make sure I, we follow through. <laughs> I think you know by now. We're, we're, when we're very good at following through. We're very good through. at um, vocalising our, our goals. And uh, when I always feel that if you have a goal, you need to let people know that you have a goal. Because as soon yes. as you put that in paper and get That's it out there. That's what you said to me. I remember when I told you my plan and you said, when are you going to make it public? Remember, we were yep. walking, we were hiking, we were already training. And you said, when are you going to make it public? And I was like, when I'm ready. And you're like, no, you need to do it now because it means that you will 100% follow through. And I was like, I will follow through. And you're like, if you put it public, it's a done deal. It's done. And I was like, okay. And it I think that night I went home and yeah. I did it. It puts pressure on. I mean, for, for me, it puts pressure on because um, I never want to be in a position where I, I have to fail publicly if I can avoid it. So I'm yes. going to give it everything I can to complete that goal. Now, I'm not saying that you're not allowed to fail. That's, that's not what I mean by that statement, yes. just to be clear. Because failing is all part of, of everything we do on a day-to-day basis. And can be a huge learning curve. And a huge thing to, to, to understand and learn from. Um, so uh, I, I want to make that clear. But I also think that having that self-pressure to complete a goal is paramount to completing any goal. You need to have it there. Definitely. Um, we're able to give so much more i think when we're good to ourselves and we do things that spark joy personally mm-hmm. i mean 2017 i made decisions for me that were for me i sat at brekkie i told my family i was going to africa <laughs> to teach ballet and they thought i was crazy yep. and i was like i'm actually going to and then they're like yeah yeah okay georgia because sometimes i do come up with some crazy ideas that year i also Remember, I was invited to speak at TEDx. Yes, very much And so. I said, even though I knew that it was going to be so time-consuming, I knew that it would make me feel... It was a bucket list item. And I knew that it would bring me so much joy to have that on the resume. So I did that. And then both these decisions meant being pretty selfish with my time and energy. And I remember thinking, is this good for my business because I'm all about serving other people? And in 2017, I really served and worked towards more personal goals. But what surprised me was the result of being so intent on doing these projects for myself meant that I found other people inspired to do projects for themselves. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and it made people go, like students started going, Mum, Dad, let's go on a hike on Sunday. That's what Miss Georgia does. (laughs) Or wow, like I want to, like I had so many kids that year come up to me and say, I want to be a ballet teacher. And I felt like there was a real turnaround. And I truly believe you need to put your energy, your passions and your projects 
first and then the rest will follow. I don't know. What do you think about that? Because you, well, you are think, very busy. I think you're just living up to being a role model. You know, <laughs> you know Stop, my head will explode. <laughs> <laughs> but you are a role model. You, 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 you must know that yourself. I mean, whether that's – look at your adult ballerinas who, who – who, they tell you that because they can vocalise it, but you just got to look at your students, and you can tell that you're a role model just by the comments and and the way that they they talk about you and treat you. So by having those goals in front of you, and by completing those goals and attempting as many different things as you can, that's that's just fantastic as a role model to show those kids that you can do whatever you want to do. And as far as so you're turning this around, I think you do that too. I think, I think, I think you're lots a good of people role in our, model. Lots and, of people in our community are though. And so you made a decision, and this was just before your Everest trip, that you were going to start doing things for yourself. Yeah. And remember you said, I'm going to do it for my 40th. Is that correct? Correct. I said 50th the other day, didn't I, when we were talking about it? And you're like, <laughs> You also Georgia. said you would never mention that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> but you said, I'm going to do Everest Base Camp when I'm 40. And then you turned around and went, because this was your first climb, and you went, why am I waiting until I'm 40? An arbitrary number. Yeah. You could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Yeah, 100%. You just need to do it now. Hmm. And I feel like like when I said to people that I you know, was going to do Killy, they were like, oh, I'd love to do that. I want to do it for my 30th birthday. I want to do it for my 50th birthday. You hear it all the time. Why? Yeah. Why are you waiting? Just do it now. I want to do it because it's Tuesday the 30th of January. It, it, yeah. It, it like, should, you know, like it's, it, I just say when you have these ideas, you pick the first available opportunity. And you do it. To do it. Because you don't know what's going to happen. I, I mean, I, we've all been touched with family tragedies like cancer or, or things that happen randomly that doesn't allow you to do the things you want to do in your life. And and once you've seen that a few times and you understand that things can happen really quickly, then... What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? You just go out there and do it. And, yeah. and that's how I've, I've lived my life for a long time. When I, when I did turn 40 and, and I didn't actually achieve my goal, I was really, really upset with myself there for a little while. And it forced me to go out and actually start that journey of, of doing things for me. Like you were saying, maybe you felt a bit selfish. Maybe you didn't. Yeah. You felt it was all about you that year. But what I learned was that if you do those things for yourself and you're happier, 100%. the people around you are happier. Well, you cannot be the role model, the positive person, unless you are the best person that you can be personally. Yeah. So you have to do whatever it, make, whatever it takes to make you happy. Yeah. The happier you are, and that might mean being busy, but the happier that you are and the more energetic you are, the happier you're going to be around the people that you love and the people that you're trying to inspire. You just naturally inspire people because of because you're so the happy. energy that you're putting yeah. out there. It's fantastic. There's been this real trend towards, just personally that I've found, there's this real trend towards not setting goals. Oh, goals are overrated. And, you know, I mean, it's just been the new year january yep. 1st hit and people go oh you don't set goals because not you don't fulfill them anyway so why bother <laughs> i think that is such rubbish it is i set goals at the start of every year and i make sure i follow through as many as possible and if i don't i need it gives me some direction yeah and it gives me somewhere to go i just think it's really important oh it's 100 percent. i mean I, I i basically my life revolves around my goals 
Yes, yours um, very much does. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I have business goals, I have family goals, I have personal goals. I break it down into those three categories. And they're very, very different. Yeah. You know, but um, it, it creates a plan and it gives me time to sit down and work out what's important to me and where I want to make the spaces within that month, year, two-year period, daily period, whatever it may be, to complete those goals. And, you know, again, it comes back to, oh, I don't have time to do this or I can't afford to do that. It it, it comes down to planning. Yeah. You know, it comes down to making time for the things that are important. And I I think this is why I love my clients so much and and I resonate so much with ballet students is because we're very much a type to set goals and a type to be dedicated and follow through and and that's why I I mean especially within my adult ballet classes and like my clients there some of them lead such interesting and amazing lives and I'm always like so inspired and surprised when they tell me about something crazy or awesome they've done um, that I'm really attracted to it and so yeah. that's why I so well, I love teaching. You surround yourself. So with I love ballet students. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I love surrounding myself with, with all these people. So that's why I thought our conversation would be really useful. Even though you were like, "Why am I on your podcast? I have nothing to do with ballet." <laughs> I'm honoured to be on your podcast. And you I love have, the fact that I'm here. But you it, have a ballerina mind, Mike. You do. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be. You can be an honorary. I'm in touch with my tutu. Balanced ballerina. Yep. <laughs> Actually, speaking of tutu, you did wear a tutu. I did. At the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. I took Kilimanjaro. a pink tutu. You took me. two. I took two. One for me <laughs> and one for my guide who was yet to be met. But uh, I took it with me and uh, I took them with me. And I pulled it out at I the top. I need to post that photo. Of, um, of Kilimanjaro, put my tutu on and posed at the top. You it was did. pretty awesome. You did. <laughs> I mean, everyone else thought I was nuts and couldn't work out what this pink thing was, but I mean, like... Uh, I mean, I don't remember, but I'm us. sure everyone was looking at you very all, strangely. It was all a blur for you. I'll have to post that photo for everyone. Now, I finish every conversation with asking, what's your tip for leading a balanced life? Well, that's a really hard question. I know exactly what your answer is going to be, but I'll let you go. <laughs> Look, a balanced life for me, uh, probably. I mean, it's different for everyone. Let me start off by saying that I don't think there is a golden rule. Yeah, uh, and I think that's part of what everyone's looking for. They're looking for the golden rule of how to be balanced. For me, and I can only talk about me, is I don't actually let it stress me out too much. Yeah. I uh, the, the balance is is a is a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly thing for me. So my balance comes from me being happy and if i'm happy that's that that's my litmus test yeah if i'm happy and the people around me are happy then i feel fairly balanced now there's times in my work life where um i have to be completely dedicated to that and i can be you know really involved in that for months at a time which means other things suffer you know things like training and 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 family life but then there's other times where i set aside gaps for just the family time yeah. and there's other times where it's all about training and work revolves around that and so it changes from different periods of, of the year but all in all I feel I have a very balanced life I make a lot of time for my friends and, and my family um, I treat my relationships with my friends the same as I do as a marriage I, I really work on those and, and, and that balance helps me in other areas of my life and I I spend, uh, you know, I, I've included it in the last probably seven or eight years. I, I, I like to train 
and, and if I'm not training and especially trekking, I find that um, my balance is out of whack. And, that's, and so I just revisit all those things every, you know, every month, two months or whenever I feel I need it and say, right, I'm not feeling 100%. I'm not feeling particularly happy about what's going on in my life at this time. And I look at those three areas and say, what, I know, what am I not doing? And if it's not spending time with the family, well, then I'll go and spend time with the family until I feel like I'm back in balance. And if it's training, same sort of thing. Um, I find trekking, for me, is the thing that really does steady my mind and, and really take the noise out of my life. I can go trekking, um, you know, for a couple of hours. I do a lot of trekking by myself. Yeah. And when I'm by myself that quiet time that two hours of just talking to myself in that period of walking usually sorts out everything i anything need to that's going on. anything that's going on in my life and I, I i'm not scared to have a bit of self-talk and and ask myself the questions that need to be asked and that's um and that's something a lot of people just don't do enough i don't, I don't think and that's where my balance comes from by sitting down, talking to myself, asking myself the questions that need to be asked and having an honest conversation with myself. Don't push it away. Once I've asked those questions and I know where what needs to be done and I, and I work on my, my goals and needs at the time, that's when balance comes in. There's something powerful about nature and just walking in it, I think. Definitely. It grounds you. Yeah, 100%. And that's why I think it's really important. Yeah. You don't need to go become like a hiker. You don't need to climb Mount Everest. That's no, not what I'm saying. No, I'm just saying no. whether it's an ocean swim, whether it's... Walk down the beach. Walk, uh, walk down the, the park, beach. Whatever it may be. Yeah. Mm. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was awesome. I, I had a great time and it was lovely to um, reminisce and revisit our, uh, it our is, amazing isn't trip. It? it was fantastic. It was a, a once in a lifetime thing, I think. It was one of those things that you can actually say it was a once in a lifetime. We can climb Kilimanjaro again, but there was no way we could have the experience in Kibera again. We could not replicate that adventure. No, it was tremendous. And I, and I want to thank you for that because, I mean, like I was the chaperone. I was the tag, tagger alonger. <laughs> I did feel one. bad at times. <laughs> and um, like, Do you really want to be here? <laughs> but I really did. I, I, and, and, With and a ballet shoe attached to your hiking I bag. I did have a ballet <laughs> shoe attached to my bag the whole time. But it, like th- that experience um, was extremely memorable and it really did open my eyes to a, a completely different side of life and uh, it was very rewarding and I love the fact that I had the chance to, to share that with you so thank you very much thank you we're going to stop now before it all gets a bit too emotional oh yeah yeah all good <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dan. thank you so much for listening please get in touch on Instagram at balance ballerinas and at the balance ballerina I love hearing your thoughts. You can also find Mike on Instagram at, at Zero Vanilla. Mike's just joined Instagram and his profile is already pretty amazing, filled with such inspirational quotes and photos. So go show him some love and I hope you enjoyed our chat. As always, it would mean the absolute world to me if you rate and subscribe the podcast. Thank you so much, guys. Have a beautiful week.